All right, everyone, welcome to the One Day Outdoors podcast. We're so glad you stopped by. We've got a special guest with us today. Really excited to get into the show. Been chatting with him a little bit before the show, and uh, he seems like he's got a lot going on. And uh, he's also a fellow electrician, and, and I thought that was pretty cool. I didn't know that before I talked to him for a while. So I got to know him at an event that he held, and uh, I'm going to let him talk more about that. But uh, I just want to thank you, Robert, and welcome you to the show. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you a few questions, man, and and uh, get you to tell us a little bit about yourself and, and where you're from and, and all that good stuff. I want to know how it all started, man. Did, did, did you start hunting when you were young? Like me, I, I'm a late, late in life hunter, a late onset, whatever they call it, adult onset hunter. I started hunting when I was about 30. I'm 35 now. Did you like grow up hunting or, or did you kind of fall into it some other type of way? into hunting and i had a couple uncles that were big into hunting they used to uh do a lot of archery we'd go squirrel hunting small game season turkeys my dad was big on chasing turkeys and hog um my granddaddy he used to run he was big on running beagles he'd run dogs that was his way of doing it but uh i've been hunting since i was a kid so i got out in the woods probably i don't know somewhere around 11 12 years old and uh, I did it a lot, not as much as we fished, because my dad was a commercial fisherman. Um, but uh, we we go out a lot, <laughs> and uh, I got away from it for a little bit. Whenever I was probably about I don't know twenty one till about twenty eight, <clears throat> somewhere in that range, I got away from it, and then. Uh, kind of got back into it my early 30s pretty heavy and then since me and my wife have been since me and alicia started dating on into being married she's been the first person i've ever been with that'll go out with me so it lets me get a lot more hunting opportunities because yeah i don't have to worry is mom mad at the house because she's usually out there with me so that's been it's it's opened up a lot of uh, opportunity. So yeah, I've been I've been doing it for a long time now. <clears throat> that's good stuff, man. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's good. Um so when was the time where you decided that you were going to did, when did you start? Did you you didn't of course you didn't start saddle hunting. So so let's get slowly go lead segue into this so when did you start saddle hunting later on in life that's that's kind of funny too because uh, i did um first time ever tried one was probably the i don't know mid 90s um i had an uncle from georgia and he had an old anderson they had one they called it the big buck or the safety sling or something like that and um the old Anderson was the first thing we were ever in because back then it was really common to use um, the like Baker climbers, stuff like that. So the old Bakers didn't actually have a seat. It was basically just a, a climber base 
with a piece of plywood and like a piece of boomerang shaped metal to go around the tree. And, uh, so that was, that was something he had and he was kind of into. And, uh, if I'm not mistaken, he went from that to a trophy line. I went from that to going, I'll never get one of them, whatever they are again, because the, <laughs> the old ones were, they'd mildew real bad. The Anderson wasn't real comfortable, stuff like that. So in my teens, I swore off the idea of hunting from a sling and, uh, I didn't do it again till I don't know. It's been about, I want to say maybe 20, 2018. If I had to guess somewhere around 2019, something like that. We, uh, it's probably 2018. We were going out and, um, my wife was coming with me and we had a, nice ladder stand that we put out on public land and and it's about the end of season we're going back out trying to take down the stand and everything we're going to do the final hunt take the stand down and when i got out it had been ransacked like they had stole the cushions they stole the bow holders they oh. stole the straps they stole the little fork that touches the tree like anything besides the actual main stand itself mm. had been taken off of it just completely you know taken apart and so i went a little further out where i had a lock on and somebody had taken my climbing sticks too so when that happened we kind of sat back and and you know it was nice because she could hunt the same tree with me you know and ladder stand stuff like that um went back out and i was like we got to figure out something else to do so took took it down this is you know early on what can we do to become mobile and still be able to like hunt the same trees and do stuff and uh i had a buddy of mine that i used to work with it was talking to me about saddles now keep in mind in the 90s when i tried the thing they weren't really saddles uh, i think trophy line came up with calling them that but uh <clears throat> they were just slings it was you were sling hunting you were sling hunting and buddy started talking about saddle hunting i'm like well, what, what's that and he's like man i got this old trophy line he had an old trophy line from like 2005 and so I was like, oh, man, I kind of seen that in the 90s. And we started looking into it. And at the time, there wasn't really any companies out. And then later on that year, I'm wanting to say Tether launched. And you know, they had a lot of marketing and stuff like that. Maybe Arrow Hunter. Arrow Hunter was out, but I didn't know anything about them at first. I kind of figured out the Arrow Hunter stuff as I was going. And... Uh, Man, that's, that's really, it was, so I guess you could say later in life, tried it when I was young, didn't like it, really discovered my love for it, um, probably about five, six years ago now, so. That's what's up, man. And we were too cheap to go out and start buying our own, like, I, I spent a lot of money on hunting gear, and my wife and my daughter, she's a, a tech major at school, so they had sewing machines they were sewing we got to talking about stitching hand stitching things and i was like you know i think i want to try to build my own and that's kind of where it came from we were just playing around trying to see if we can make our own to hunt out of that's sweet <laughs> that's good stuff man that's where it's at man I, I love the idea of of taking what i love and making it 
making something that I built and taking it out there in the woods and, and doing what I love doing. That's, that's a cool feeling. I, I know just like, for instance, my wife bought my bow for me. And the first time I went hunting with it, I killed a deer, like stuff like that. I mean, I know you have to have more of a connection to it when you're making your own saddles and it's working. I know it didn't work out at first though. Talk about some of the struggles. Man. Uh, so the first, the first struggle was just trying to find the right materials because, uh, you know, again, at the time there wasn't really a lot of options. There was, um, just basically, I think just tethered narrow hunter and from any kind of research and stuff, I, you know, I didn't know enough about them to say which one was the best. I just know that there was a lot of marketing behind one and the other company was just an arborist company that started making recreational hunting stuff. So my idea originally was to kind of try to see if I could mimic it. And then, uh, I found another buddy of mine through work who had um, an old arrow hunter kite when they first came out back when they had the weird slide buckles on the legs and uh, they were still using the big heavy ISC buckles on their waist. And so the, the arrow hunter kite was like the first new modern day type saddle I had ever got to sit in. And I really liked it. Like it was, it was really good. It was <clears throat> mesh um fairly light real well made so basically I, I wanted to kind of build something similar to that with just a slightly different design i didn't like how much the mesh stretched on it a couple other things so we played with uh we played with several designs and find like the the real hard part at the beginning was just finding the right material like research, 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 figure out what material stretched, what material didn't, what had a good holding strength, you know what I mean? Just being able to find the right stuff at first was the struggle. And uh, when we did it, it was never with the intention of selling saddles. Like that, that, had, that didn't cross my mind for another probably two years, year and a half, two years. I hunted out of stuff I made and my wife for a couple seasons before I ever even took one to work and showed anybody. <laughs> wow. <So. laughs> That's cool, man. That's pretty cool that y'all that y'all were able to do that. Like I said, it's it's gotta be a pretty cool connection and so so once you got all the materials and, and started making them and start letting your buddies know about it how did how did they take it what what did they say at first i bet they <laughs> so um it's it's funny because the first time i ever took one to work to show it you know there wasn't, there wasn't a lot of people that that knew about it and this was just prior to covid you know what i mean um so i go i go to work and uh i had a buddy that i went to school with and he's He's a lineman, so I was sitting there showing him, and I'm like, "Man, what you you hunting this year?" And he says, "He said, yeah." He goes, "I got a lease, and uh, we're gonna be going back out." I want to say he was up in uh, Nassau County at one of the little hunting clubs out of there, and so he was talking about his lease, and he was gonna be hunting out of his uh, climber again this year. And told him, I said, "Man, I switched it up." And he's like, "What are you doing?" And I I pulled out and showed him a picture, and uh, he was like. I think that's a, he goes, ain't that the things that Leonard's hunting out of? One of our technical trainers. And I'm like, 
who? I'm like, he hunts? And they're like, yeah, yeah, he hunts. And then they're like, his dad was a, uh, a game warden and all this hmm. other stuff. So I was kind of like, okay, well, that's that's cool, man. I, I have to show him and see what he thinks about it then. And because, uh, you know, most guys, they're like, that, that can't be comfortable, you know, doesn't yeah. So I go and I show the technical trainer uh, one morning before work. Like I, just, I called him out in the parking lot, kind of walking in, and we were sitting there chit-chatting for a minute. I said, man, somebody told me you saddle hunt. And he said, uh, he said, yeah, man, I've been doing it since 2005. I love it. I love it. And I was like, that's cool. What are you hunting out of? And he, he pulls out his phone. And he's like, I had an old trophy line. And he shows me this old trophy line that he was hunting out of. And, uh, we, you know, we were just chit-chatting, so I showed him a picture of mine, and he says, what's that? Is that, like, is that like tethered or something like that? I was like, no, actually, I said, uh, I, I make my own. I was like, I wasn't a big fan at, at the time. I think tethered, all they had was the Mantis, or they maybe just released the uh, Phantom or whatever they call it. And I was kind of like, yeah, I wasn't a big fan. I was like, I kind of like the Arrow Hunter stuff, but uh, I didn't really know where to buy one. So I just was making my own, you know, plus I'm kind of, you know, kind of cheap. <laughs> and so the technical trainer was like, well, can I try it on? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I took it out of the truck and I let him hold it. He's like, gosh, that thing is light. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, I think it weighs about a pound and, and six ounces, pound and seven ounces. And he's like, man, can I try it on? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he tries it on and I stand <laughs> hand up and he's leaning back you know with the bridge in my hand so he can get a feel for it and he looks at me says he says how much wow how much to have you build me one i said man i i don't i don't want to build you one i said that's a liability you know you get up there and you fall out i don't want y'all like assume or something he's like man i teach grown men how to climb poles for a living he goes i taught you when you were in climbing school and he's like I can, I've been using this stuff since 2005. You can trust me to use it. And I'm like, I, yeah, yeah, I can. I, I can. He was right. You know what I mean? So I said, all right, man, I, I'll, I'll, I'll make you one. And I'll, I'll cut you a good deal on it. I was like, just just don't say nothing to anybody because I don't need everybody and their mama doing it. Plus, I kind of felt like I had a little advantage, you know, because people didn't really know what it was very much. Right. So when you're the only one in the woods walking back that far and seeing that stuff, it's kind of cool. Right. So I, I made him one and it took me a, a, about two weeks because back then I didn't have a good industrial machine. So I was like sailor palming it, like putting an old all over my hand with a big needle. And I was doubling. Wow. I had like super heavy duty thread and we were yep. basically pushing it through hand sewing the whole thing. And, uh, <clears throat> that's how I came up with the, the shape and, the materials for what we call our original saddle and um so he got one off me and then he brought another buddy of his who he hunts with to me one day and you know i'm sitting there at lunch eating and he comes up and starts talking to me he's like hey i need what you made for leonard for me too and i'm like man i told you not to say nothing so, <laughs> so I, I go and i'm like all right okay so i, I make another one and then next I know, like, there's all these, like, different apprentices and, and, and line people, like, all calling me when I'm driving home and stuff. And I'm all getting calls, but, hey, we heard you do this. And they're, yep. you know, you're, you're the saddle guy. And I'm like, what the heck is that? 
So I went home and I'd already had like four people asking and I really didn't want to do it. But I told my wife, I'm like, you know, I, I might have a, a business opportunity. I was like, we might be able to do this and make some money, you know, and I had heard how successful Tethered had just became in their first year, you know, of launching. So I was like, well, we'll, we'll give it a shot, you know, and uh, we didn't have a whole lot of capital budgeting put behind it. But we started, you know, we started small making them. And then uh, I bought my first machine. And then I think my wife and I had actually sold a house. So we had some extra income from that. We had fixed up a house and sold it. And uh, so I was like, well, let's take that extra income and, and really make a run at this. So she was like, okay. She was supportive. Actually, she tried to talk me out of it. I probably should have listened to her. And then <laughs> I out of it. She was 100% behind me. So we bought a couple extra sewing machines, like the big heavy-duty industrial ones. And then um, I bought a big group of material in bulk, um, inked a couple distribution deals with a few of the material manufacturers so I could get, you know, a decent price. And then we went and had a bunch of them made up and went up to Georgia and drop tested our stuff. And uh, I didn't know what to think when I went up there for drop testing because it was, you know, there's not a lot of tests for saddles. There's no regulations, no standards. So people can just kind of willy-nilly put together whatever they want and and try to tell you it's safe and let you hunt out of it. I wanted some kind of evidence that mine was so that my insurance wouldn't be through the roof and, you know, stuff like that. So I actually called TMA to find out where they approve drop testing, uh, what insurances that they use or they recommend for their tree stand members, et cetera. And we got the insurance, the super high dollar stuff. <laughs> and then we did the drop testing and, uh, we ended up doing a lot better there than we thought we were, you know, or we ever could have hoped. We, we did really, really well, actually. Um, and then it just kind of slowly but steadily went there from there, like as a word of mouth, because I, I don't do a lot of hype marketing. I'm not good at it. <laughs> and by you listening to this right now, it's probably like, yeah, this guy sounds like a rambling idiot. No, no. I can't convince people. It's just not my thing. I can't BS people into buying something I don't believe, you know. So it's been a slow word of mouth type of thing. And, uh, that's, that's kind of where we started as far as making them. I, I knew I liked the arrow hunter stuff. I figured that out really quick. Uh, arrow hunter had kind of gotten away from making the old designs that everybody liked. And I saw some opportunities to not just make something kind of like they did, like similar materials and patterns, but I also saw the opportunity to improve. Like they made a, a saddle in like 2019 called the Flex, and uh, might have been 2018, uh-huh. early 2019. But it was like one of the most popular saddles probably ever made, and people love the old Flex. Like there, you know, a bunch of YouTube videos started coming out on it and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But by 2020, 2021, they had moved away from that pattern and started making a. a it was like a knockoff version that was never quite as, it was never quite the same. It just wasn't as good. Like it was good. It wasn't uncomfortable. It was safe. You know, they looked nice. I mean, they had some of the best sewing that there was, but it just never had the same comfort, the same reviews. People just never loved it the way they loved 
the old school ones. So uh, I kind of said, well, let's make something similar to the old school arrow hunter stuff, and then let's just kind of improve a little bit, make it a little lighter by going with an Amstel bridge. Let's uh, improve the buckles, you know, instead of going with uh, ADF, let's go with Austria Alpen because they're the best. Let's, uh, you know, let's just improve on little things. Let's fix the pleat so the pleat don't fall open all the time. Let's, uh, and that's that's all we did. Like, I mean, honestly, I wasn't trying to go out and reinvent the wheel. I already knew what worked and what didn't. I just want to improve the stuff that didn't. Yeah. Uh, that's where we got started. Yeah, I seen some of that. I had a firsthand view, man, at, at the event you put on. We're going to talk some more about that and probably jump into some of that um, here in a minute, man. But y'all really did good at that event. I was, I was, uh, you know, I hadn't been able to make it to very many uh, hunting type events ever. I've been to a couple, but that that's one that really stands out, man. Y'all did a good job. Y'all gave away a lot of stuff. Y'all really showed and tested a lot of different things, and I learned a lot, but didn't also just learn there. I kind of seen things that I had never saw, so I was able to go investigate even more later on and, uh, you know, find out more stuff about it, and I've been able to learn, you know, how to – all this is a learning experience for me and just being able to share knowledge and, and hear other people's knowledge, like you said, and talked about the Saddle Hunter uh, page and stuff like that. But, uh, man, at that event, I, it was – that was uh pretty nice i took my son out there he was able to climb up he actually did a little climbing demonstration <laughs> my little boy went up in the uh went up in the stand and, and showed everybody that even a kid could go up in there and climb you know pretty safely and pretty quickly and effectively so that's uh really what this podcast is about man besides just kind of showcasing and profiling what you're about and what you got going on and uh with the wood hunting saddles that's that's just really neat to me and i i want to talk more about that like how long is, is that the, you said you had done the saddle palooza one time before right so yeah um the way all that started like this like, again it goes back to everything goes back to saddlehunter.com like uh for any of the people that are listening to this if you don't know instead of running around on facebook and and youtube's great you know youtube university we joke about that all the time you, you learn a lot of stuff, but if you really want to get into the meat and potatoes, find out how companies started, find out how designs came about, find hear, hear from guys that have been doing this since like the 1970s and 80s, like when it really, really started, saddlehunter.com is the best place there is, period. Um, so saddlehunter.com, a group of guys that really love DIY saddle stuff, and that's how all this kind of started. There's a you know big group of them. Um, the dudes from Tethered, like the founding guys from Tethered, were huge in this, um, and, and just a bunch of other guys. And they used to meet up in Georgia, like I think it was Fort Stewart, and they called that Saddle Palooza, and uh, they did it in I don't know, it was like 2017, 2018, you know, maybe 2016 ish. It was three, three, four years. It was going, and it was. I mean, big, like all these DIY people come out and show you how they were climbing, what they were doing, um, <clears throat> new gear, if they any of them had any or if they were building something. Um, back then, the fleece saddles with the rock climbing harnesses were real popular. Um, a lot of guys were using, uh, oh, God, what's called the sit drag, and they would like mm -hmm. sew a little belt into it, you know, stuff like that. And it was a great event. 
and then I guess as uh, as, as Tethered had kind of taken off and got bigger and bigger and started, you know, promoting and doing a bunch of really cool events as they were doing that, like attendance at Saddle Palooza had died off and that, you know, it was Palooza with a P and it, uh, it just, it started dying off. Like by 2021, there was only like seven people there. So wow. in 2021, rather than going there, me and uh, a couple of the guys on the forum were sitting around talking there was a well to beast and Rick Hall and a couple other guys. And we were all just sitting around talking. And we were like, man, uh, Island shooter. <laughs> we were like, why don't we put on like saddle Palooza, but let's bring it to Florida. Florida's got more pigs. Florida's got better weather in February normally. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, we got a whole bunch of public land and we can all hunt and stuff like that. And it, it'll just, it'll be cheaper than a Georgia license because hogs are invasive. So mm-hmm. you don't have to have a license. You just need a WMA permit to shoot them. Yep. I was like, the hog hunt, we can do a bunch of demos. Let's put it on. Let's have fun. So 2021, we did it and we just called it the Florida saddle hunter meetup, but it wasn't just dudes from Florida. Like we had, we had a pretty good turnout. It rained all We Like we only did it Saturday and Sunday that year. And it rained all day Saturday, like all day. Oh, man. And, and so, like, uh, you know, Wildebeest and J-Bo and all these other guys, they, you know, they, they, they stuck through it in the rain. Like, it, it was cool. And people were showing, like, some of them were climbing, like, these Japanese-style rope methods where they take the one rope and they advance it and climb a little stick and then slide their tether up and then flip the rope over, tie it off. And, like, it was, it was so <laughs> cool to see some of the stuff. But it was just a group of, I think, 30, 32 people. And by the end of it, we only had like 20-something actually stay and camp out. Um, they had to eat my cooking because I didn't cater it that year. I just uh, I, I brought burgers and dogs. I made everybody burgers and dogs. And we ended up not even hunting the hog that evening because of the rain. And I think Monday or Sunday morning, a couple guys got up and went, whatever. Um, we sat around the campfire that night, told a bunch of hunting stories and kind of, you know, and at the time I, uh, I had had a company already, like we were already a company, but I wasn't really marketing. I wasn't trying to sell stuff. So I brought a couple saddles to show off and, uh, the guys liked it. And then we did the same thing again. 2022 and so me and wildebeest were talking and we were like man let's uh let's let's crank it up a little bit and try to make it bigger he's like i don't know i really like guys in state i don't really want all those uh he said i don't want all the snowbirds coming down i'm like oh come on man don't come like on. <laughs> he's like i'm just kidding i'm just kidding i'll uh you know so we we sat down and we came up with some ideas and he was just kind of playing and he's like why don't you do a like hide and go seek with the saddle and i'm like what he's like yeah just go out in the woods and start hiding a bunch of gear and crap and, uh, <laughs> sweet it. i was like you know what that's not a half bad idea i'm, I'm gonna do that so I, re- I reached out and uh i had i had already made um, an ambassador partnership with swamp and stomp so I knew they were going to come this past year, you know, and uh, they've been working with us for about six or seven months and they were excited to come up and help out Florida camo, same thing, Spoil Hill archery. So I, I made all these connections in 2022. And so because I had made them, we knew 2023 was going to be big. 
and we knew it was going to be big. So we uh, <laughs> we started planning different things, and then I made friends with a few of the other saddle companies. Rather than trying to compete with them all and, and, and bash them, I'd rather just be the guy that talks good about them. And if they do an event, I'll try to support it, share their stuff. They can join my social media pages and, and share, like, you know, CGM, Buzzard Roost, Overwatch yeah. Outdoors. I get along. Uh, Trophy Line. I get along with all of those guys really well. So if they need something I, and I can help, I will. Um, if they want to promote their stuff and they want to come use my followers to do it, I let them. Right. You know, rather than trying to pigeon toe. And I, I'd rather work with them and get along. And uh, so I reached out to Jerry from CGM and I reached out to Jamie from Overwatch and I reached out to um, Sean at, at Trophy Line and uh, I reached out to several of them and everybody was uh, the, the dude from Bullman Outdoors. He was actually yeah. going to try to come this year and then last minute he couldn't figure his flight stuff out. But uh, I reached out to him and they, they, they all donated gear so like all that stuff you're talking about we gave away a lot it was all because of them they, they, they made that possible you know what i'm saying so by getting along like that we were able to showcase a lot of other companies gear and we were also able to raffle it off and give it away for super cheap i mean you threw 10 bucks in the pot and you can win you a 300 saddle yeah seek stuff uh this coming year it will be even bigger i believe as long as everybody still donates like they did last year because we're going to add the Saddle Hunter 3D Archery Tournament to the last day of Saddle Falooza. So what will happen is uh, we'll, we'll all meet up Friday like we did, and you'll be able to camp out and do all that, and then we'll get the real festivities kicked off Saturday morning, hopefully a little earlier. My wife's going to do a better job of scheduling me. She said that I, I was too over, all over the place, so we need some structure. So I'm going to be a little more structured Saturday. We'll get through the climate demos and stuff, have lunch again. Like uh, this past year, it was catered by uh, an award-winning barbecue. Ooh. Yeah, it was good. And, and uh, <laughs> that's where the big expense was. Like I didn't want to charge people to come to it, but we had to because it's, it's expensive to get it catered. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Shirts weren't cheap either, so it was it was kind of nice, you know, that that people that many people were willing to throw in and, and come out, and then uh, they all, you know, we we booked up all the campsites between us and the other guys, like so all three campsites at Lake George were all different parties of people coming to that event, which was really cool, and then um, you know, so now on Sunday we'll do the hog hunt first thing in the morning, and we'll finish the raffles, but then around eleven or so noonish we'll go ahead and shoot the saddle hunter 3d tournament so what uh, happen is we'll have five different stations and we'll put targets out and the guys can climb up to about six foot high and you know we're not, we're not gonna have them go all the way up to 20 or nothing stupid right but just mimic real world competition see who's who's actually able to shoot and get a chance you know for the new guys that have never tried it and want to see what it's really like to shoot out of one They'll be able to do that event, too, this coming year. So that's going to be big. Um, this past year, the one you're talking about, I also reached out. Well, Mad Hunt's Adventure reached out to me, wanting to do a saddle review. And the guy, the guy's name is uh, Matt. He's a super nice guy. 
we were uh, chatting a little bit, and I, I told him, I said, man, I, I, in your last video, you were in Florida somewhere, like Central Florida. I said, we're actually doing an event in February in Central Florida if you want to come out. And he goes, well, let me see if I can trade and get off work, and if I can, I'll come. And so he ended up coming out, uh, James Griffith Outdoors, yeah. that guy came out in the panhandle, real nice guy. I met him at uh, one of the Southern Southern Podcast events um, that out in the panhandle. And so it's just a group of really nice guys. Uh, the dude Doug that runs that, he's awesome. So it was like, you know, James came out and uh, Matt Hunts came out. And then last minute surprise, I'm talking to the guy from the Budget Sportsman. And he was like, hey, so me and Matt were going to meet up. And is it, can I come to your event? I, I'm going to buy a ticket. And I'm like, yeah, man, shoot, that would be awesome. You know, because Nathan is, he's one of the, the, the most genuinely nice guys in the industry. And uh, he's got a pretty good size following. So it was exciting that, they, you know what I mean? You got... You had Mad Hunt Adventures, the Budget Sportsman, and Swamp and Stomp all at the same event. Right, like, right. That's know, good, man. On that event, so yeah, man, it, it was cool. And I'm glad y'all got to come out. Like that, the idea behind it is literally just to let people learn. Like people, mm -hmm. like you're talking about, you're kind of new to it. it that's the idea, man. I, I want people to learn. I want them to learn from experienced guys that have have been doing it and don't get hurt. And then I want to try to fix some of the problems with climbing. Like, there's a lot of guys climbing and rappelling now, and they're using devices like the Mad Rock. And, and you can use them. That's, I mean, they're built for that sort of thing. But it's just understanding their limitations, understanding what is the worst thing that could happen and how it could happen and how you can stop that from happening. Like, that, that's what's important to me is I just want guys to be able to get up there and do it safely and be comfortable and you know try out other people's stuff like if my saddle's not for you you want a mesh deluxe you know you want something mesh that, that pleats and all that i don't make one but you know what jerry over at cgm he makes an amazing one so i mm. send people over there you know um this it's just the idea stuff like that you're looking for a two panel we don't have one right now you know who does buzzard roost go get you one you know yeah. Latitude's great. They're a great company. But if I can push somebody towards Buzzard Roost, I'm going to do that. You know, if I can push somebody towards Trophy Line because you want a good light climate stick that don't cost a lot of money, you know, Trophy Line's great for that. XOP is great for that. Like, there's a lot of support in this industry if people know where to look. And I just, I'm trying to help people find it. You know what I mean? Yes. Good alternative to get up that tree. So that's, that's the idea behind it. That was why we did it. And again, it all started from saddlehunter.com and a, just a group of good old boys that want to That's get right. and go over their stuff. That's right, man. I think you're doing an awesome thing, man. I can't thank you enough. I really, uh, really appreciate it, man, because I'm, I mean, I feel like people really, a lot of the time, handcuff what they got because they're of greed or whatever. I don't know what it is, but putting, putting, giving support to other people besides yourself is a real big thing. That's, that's kind of lost these days. And I think that's a, a cool, a cool and a good, good way to uh, be a leader, man, because nobody really does that, you know? And I think within the hunting community and, and with the hunting industry, man, it's, it's really cool that y'all, all you different, you know, people who have things for sale 
can get together and promote each other and be on the same team and grow together. You know, that's that's pretty cool. But you did you did give me a good segue into uh some of this safety stuff. That's I do want to get into that since we do have a, a saddle hunt podcast and I'm um sim kind of new to it. So I wanna know like what what are some of those things that could happen? Like for instance, um this year I just got a Grigri plus and the Mad Rocks were sold out. But anyways, I got the Grigri Plus and I figured out how to back it up with uh one of the hitches that I learned at your show. Well, I semi learned it at the uh <laughs> at the event and then I had to look it up and you had to correct me. I, I said the wrong name of it and stuff, but that's what it's all about, man. Like don't don't let me go up there, Robert, and, and fall down no more. I done fell a couple times. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, one day outdoors. I started at Northeast Florida Outdoors and did that for a few years. And like I said, it's just my love for hunting, man. And I'm not no real good editor. Didn't go to school for any of this stuff. I just like having documented and and I'm just excited. I, I get I'll be at work, man, and hunting will pop in my mind, and I'll I'll just work better because I just love it that much. So. It's, it's, what's great about it though like raw footage like what you're talking about and me and the guys at Swamp and Stop were talking about this too because they do a lot of raw footage like they do a lot of raw footage and it's good because not only is it a learning experience for you because you can go back and watch and see what you did and what you didn't do but for other guys that might be intimidated and they're just getting into it it's a chance for them to see that other people fail too right they, yeah Nobody's successful hunting 50% of the time. I've never met a person that goes out in the woods and shoots an animal every other time they go. Nope. Maybe if over a corn feeder in a blind that's been up for, you know, five years or something. But realistically, especially if you're hunting Florida and Florida public specifically, yeah. Georgia, Georgia public land, you're not just running out killing one every time you go. No, it's sir. Just, it's not. It's, that's not how life works. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, man, I like to I like to show some of the nitty gritty too because I go out there and run around and about fall out in some of this heat sometimes early season, and and if I shoot a doe, man, with my bow and arrow, it is like listen, it, it, if somebody when I call them and tell them I just shot a deer, would have thought I killed a daggone twelve point or something. I swear they would. <laughs> That's right. No. I think that's why I respect Swamp and Stop and the guys like that and the dude from Florida Camo as much because th those dudes are, like, savage, man. They, they, people don't realize them guys are going out in August yep. and hunting Florida where it's 100-plus degrees, and they're killing animals. But uh, yeah, getting, getting into what you were saying, though, like I said, I found, you know, I, I corrected you because I, I had listened to your stuff, and I was like, okay, he's got it right, but this is the – this is what it's actually called. So you're, you know, the Cornell hitch. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, so so some of the things that could happen, like what we were talking about. Um, I'll give an example. Climbing sticks. They're, they're a very popular thing, right? You take the stick, you use a strap. Some guys went to rope modifications now. And they'll put it around a tree and they'll cinch the thing up, pull it out, and seat it down real well, right? You climb up it. Well, the first thing is when you're hanging that stuff, you want to be able to be hang, you know, hands free so you can use both hands to set them. So one of the big things is linesman rope. 
like use them like people people provide them most saddles have designated linesman loops now like where you got a spot separate from your normal bridge that you can hook up and that way you can still you know tether up when you get the height use them um the correct way to use a linesman rope so that you don't like i'm listening there's some guy on youtube and i'm not i'm not going to give any kind of cloud or, or cast any shadow but this particular person tells people that linesman ropes aren't safe because you technically can still fall down a tree and he, he he'd be right like if you just use the rope kind of like linemen do on the on the pole back in the day when they would freehand and they would just belt off right. um, or the before the buck squeeze you know, was prominent, you could fall. There was that capability, but it was understanding that instead of trying to reach in and hug things, you tried to push off, you tried to give friction. So with a linesman rope on a tree, especially where you're hanging sticks and stuff, you aren't going to fall all the way to the ground if you use it and use it properly. You won't. That's not going to happen. You, you'll fall. You might fall 14 inches, 18 inches. I don't know. Depends on how much slack you got. But you're not going to go all the way to the ground. And don't let this guy that's selling a rope technique tell you that you are, because that's not accurate. But when you're using climbing sticks, use that linesman rope. And the correct way to do it is to keep your hands on the rope. Don't be reaching in on the back of the tree, trying to pull the rope up the tree. Keep, keep yourself about 25, 30 degrees out from the tree so that your hips are out and it's under tension. Keep that rope above your linesman loop. So wherever your loops are, the, the higher that angle of that rope, the better. If you can get it up about chest height, that would be great. Take that rope and you lean in just a little bit for slack and you flip it up real fast and you lean back. That's how you climb. Then you advance your position. Lean in just a little bit. Keep your hands on the rope, not the tree. Flip with the wrist. Flip that rope up lean back again that's one thing that that will help make people safer you know and then when you're climbing down it's in reverse you're leaning back you want to make your step kind of lean in a little bit drop it to about waist level then step down it should be back up around close to your chest level lean in bring it back to waist keep leaned out you know climb down like that if you're using your lines rope you can be hands free so you can climb you can hang your sticks you can hang your platform and you're never going to fall further than the standoff on that stick. You know what I mean? If, if, if I was, I'll give you an example. <laughs> 2021, I, um, October, I was hunting uh, Thomas Creek. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm hunting my little spot in Thomas Creek. And I uh, had some hawk sticks and the standoff bent on them. So I, I, I climb up that morning, I hunt all day, I come down, I go to lunch, I come back, and uh, this is October, so it's around our rut, you know, early October. So I come back, and I'm thinking, okay, they're, they're going to be out following some doe, I'm going to get some, I'm going to stay in the same tree. I climb back up, I'm sitting there all day, hog came in, that's about it. <laughs> and then uh, I'm coming down, I'm on my first stick, you know, the highest stick up, I take my platform off, I set my platform in my backpack, I climb down to my next stick, I'm taking that top stick off, and while I'm taking that top stick off, all of a sudden, you know, I got my rope tensioned, I'm leaning back like I'm supposed to be, because I, I know how to use the stuff, right, so I'm doing that, the stick all of a sudden just cuts way off to the right, real hard, like just cuts out completely, so my rope 
I get slid into the tree, you know, and I, I you know, skin your elbow up a little bit, whatever. But I'm pushing tension back. I take my feet. I start kind of pushing against the tree, and I'm feeling, oh, there's the next climbing stick. So I look up, and I'm trying to figure out what happened. Well, what had happened was the top standoff on that stick had bent. Now, I done climbed up and down it three three times that day. So it ain't like it wasn't seated. It wasn't seated properly. It was just, a, you know, things like that happen sometimes. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm not going to bash the product. I'm just going to say things like that happen. Right. Unex- yeah. Unexpectedly, that standoff bent and it dropped me. I went down 18 inches. I skinned my elbow. That's all I did. No tether. You did not have a tether. That's what I've been meaning, wanting to ask you this whole time. So when you're climbing on sticks, I don't use a tether. Okay. I know guys that do, but it's a, it's really kind of a pain, and your tether is now going to be in the way of the next stick you're going to hang, yep. unless you're sideways around the tree. I don't do that. I just use my linesman rope. That way I'm vertically going straight up the tree, and then when I hang my platform, I hang my platform even with the top step that I put up, and I put it off about not quite 90 degrees, somewhere probably closer to like 75 degrees off of it. That way I can use the platform and I can use the top step as a way to get around for a 360 degree shot. That's if I'm using sticks and a platform. So that, that, you know, things that can happen, the stick can cut out, a strap can break. If your linesman rope is connected the right way while you climb, then you're not going all the way to the ground. And you just, you got to learn to use it the right way. That's one thing for safety. Um, another thing for safety is never having a system that allows you to fall in the first place. Uh, you have SRT and DDRT. So you have your stationary rope or um, single rope techniques, what they call it, stationary rope system. That's a SRT. And it's basically where one rope goes up and it stays stationary. You tie it off either at the top, like a canopy anchor kind of like we were doing at the event. Or if you have like a good oak tree with a good branch, you can go over that branch and tie it, you know, where the rope comes back down, you can tie it off at the bottom. They call that a basal anchor. So you can tie it off down there and, you know, the rope doesn't move. You just move on it with like a Grigri, a Mad Rock. Um, you can use a rope wrench and a friction hitch together. They have a system, uh, the, they, they refer to them as a rad system. And there's, there's several different options for it. Um, it's an advanced climbing technique. I don't tell people that uh, you should just run off and learn that over the internet. There are places to go to climb, you know, learn recreational climbing. Right. And if you, you Google it, you know, recreational climbing in my area, you'll probably find a, a place that will teach you within so many hours of you. And I suggest that for everybody. But if you're going to go to YouTube University <laughs> and you're going to try to learn these things, um, the guys at New York Saddle Hunter are really good. I've got a couple videos that are okay. Um, my buddies at Swamp and Stomp, their videos are, are really, really good. Um, and we've kind of changed the way people are thinking about safety. Like uh, we back up our, our Mad Rocks and our Greeries. You know, like you have the Greery Plus, you said. Yeah. In my opinion, that's I like that better than the Mad Rock. It's not as small. Mad Rock is smaller, but your your the scent control from that handle is a lot better on the Grigri. You're able to pull the handle and come down slower, more controlled than with a Mad Rock. With Mad Rock, you're having to put a lot more pressure on the brake line to get that same kind of speed control because there's not a spring there to assist with the pull and the push. Um, 
you know, Grigory is a little more reliable on the grab too, in my opinion. But, um, you know, they're, they're good devices, but understanding when you're climbing on them, when you climb on one, um, they're not made to be hands-free. By hands-free, it means that they're, they're called assisted braking devices. And the reason they're assisted braking is the way they're made to really hold their position in the cam to keep the friction, you're supposed to assist with the friction by keeping your hand on the brake line. Yep. If you have to stop to take your platform off or say you one stick up and then you're going to rappel down, if you have to stop to get that stick off the tree, you're not supposed to let go with your brake hand. Mm. So um, you have to be able to keep your position there. You see guys tie knots in the brake line. You'll see guys uh, put an auto block down yep. on their, their uh, linesman loop. And if you read your Mad Rock instructions or Grigory instructions, it tells you specifically not to do that on the brake side. The reason is if something happened, everybody's like, oh, you couldn't fall. Well, you'd be surprised. Um, I was climbing one time at a different place up in here in northeast Florida. And when I threw my throw ball and went around the tree and, and girthitched it and pulled my eye up, there was a small branch on the backside. Real, real small. Didn't see it. My rope looked like it was perfectly level. Right. Right. Hold it up. I go to climb up that tree and I get about 12 or 13 foot high. That little branch that was on the backside snapped. Oh. Did my rope was, you know, kind of like this. It had to cinch itself. So it dropped me. It didn't drop me far, but it, it, it did drop me a couple, you know, a couple inches. So that's a dynamic event. You know what I mean? Uh, the rope, you want your rope to be able to stretch. If you tie it off on the brake line side, the rope can't stretch and feed back into that belay device the way it's supposed to. And you could potentially break the, the cotter pin that holds the whole thing together, the clevis pin that holds the whole thing together because it's not made to absorb all the force. You got to think when a belay person uses it, if somebody falls, the dude that's using the belay device jumps. You know what I'm saying? So he helps absorb the force. They're using dynamic rope, which stretches like 20, 30%. Wow. So it absorbs a lot of force. We are on static ropes and we don't have somebody to jump. We are absorbing the force. So you don't know how much force you're putting on the rope and you don't know how much it will take to bust that clevis. So it's important to back up your device but don't do it on the brake line side. That's where I was teaching guys that Cornell hitch put above the device. And that's per, I mean, Mad Rock suggested a Prusik or something above the device. Yep. That a Mad Rock suggestion. Um, Mad Hunt's Adventure does a great video talking about it on his YouTube channel. Yeah. And um, I showed, I showed Matt how I do it and why I do it that way. I showed Swamp and Stomp. Both of them guys have great videos showing people the proper way to back up a Mad Rock or a Greery because it's important. If, if I need to go hands-free and I've got a friction hitch up here, guess what happens? I let go of my belly device, that hitch is holding me no matter what. Like if I slip, I fall, anything, the hitch is going to grab before the device can fail. Right. So you're safe. You're not going to fall. 
you're also not going to make your device absorb a ton of force and drop you to the ground. It's it, it's great to do that. And people were like, well, it's too hard. You can't tend it while you're pulling the brake and holding your brake line. Well, yeah, you can. And there's an easy way to do that. And I showed people that. You just make, you create your own little cheap makeshift tender with a $2 carabiner from Walmart for your keychain and a piece of paracord or a shoelace, for crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> Break the thing loose, you hold that shoelace in your hand with the carabiner above the friction hitch. As you pull the handle, it's tending the hitch for you, and you still got your free hand on the brake line the way you're supposed to. When you're going up, if you're SRT climbing, you're going up, that belay device is going to tend, it's going to push the hitch up every time you advance it. Mm-hmm. It's going to push it up where it's supposed to be out of the way. So you're, it's not like it's adding any kind of undue stress. It's not a whole lot of extra. I hear guys, that's too much stuff. Now I think about all the stuff. I'm like, it's a friction hitch. You've already got one on your tether anyway. Use the one from your tether till you get the height. Right. I don't, you know, just use it. Um, you know, it, it's really just little things like that. DDRT is double rope technique, and that's a moving rope system. So basically, you'll go over the branch or across of the tree. And as you climb, you're pulling, you're tying to this end of the rope and you're pulling the other end of the rope and advancing your weight on a friction hitch. So the hitch is only holding 40, 50%, 50% of your weight. And you learn a technique called a hip thrust. You hip thrust or you tie in a leg loop and push down and you can advance that knot and you can come back down on that one knot because... 50% 50% of the weight is being held by the crotch of the tree. Um, that's, you know, no slack in that system. You can't fall. It's impossible to fall. There's a guy now that's teaching a doubled moving rope system, uh, JRB. I, n- no climbing institutions that I'm aware of are teaching that system, but he's, his mind's in the right spot. He's teaching guys that you don't want to slack you want to climb with minimal slack in your system. So while I don't necessarily recommend using his system, he realizes the importance of not being able to fall while you're climbing, which is a good thing. Um, you know, uh, other ways, there's guys that are one-sticking. One-stick climbers, that's that's one of the most dangerous methods of climbing there is because you're on a, a, an aider. A lot of them are on an aider. They're putting their tether up as high as they can reach. They're setting that stick about chest height. They're using the aider to get up. And so when they climb, they're climbing above their tether height. That's a no-no because now you've increased your fall distance, which is going to hurt on static rope, and you've increased your fall factor because the further you can fall on the shorter amount of rope, the more force you're going to generate because rope stretches. If there's not a lot of rope to stretch, but you still have a lot of fall, in comparison that is going to increase force so um i was talking to a guy that one sticks a lot a good buddy of mine he goes by uh, arlen uh, island shooter on the forum and i was explaining to him how i advance my tether up without creating slack if i was going to one stick or if i'm going to no stick climb like on a platform instead which some guys are doing and I was telling him, I was like, I was just taking little half-inch PVC pipe, and I notched the bell in, and I would just take a couple pieces, cut them all to like 25 inches, keep them in my backpack, and I'd pull them out, stick them in each other, and just slide the rope up the tree that way, right? Hmm. And Jesus, cost the PVC brigade. But 
me and him were talking, and he goes, you know, I, I would never carry PVC. He goes, but I did find a trekking pole from REI. And I'm like, well, a trekking pole? He's like, yeah, like the hikers use, the little telescoping pole that goes down to like 10 Oh, uh, yeah. About three foot. He's like, and I got a buddy that's making uh, 3D printed stuff, and I've got him to make me this little kind of hook shape that I can screw down on the top of the trekking pole. Hmm. So I took a trekking pole, and he sent me the hook, and it works great. It works great. Like, if they ever start making them through, I may even sell them on my website because you can go get this little $35 trekking pole, and it doesn't weigh 10 ounces, and you hook it around your linesman loop with, like, a little S-beaner or something, you know, hook it to your linesman loop. You go out to the tree. You put that tether up before you start one-sticking. You pull that telescope and stick out real quick, and you just take the tether and walk it up. So you're walking it up three foot higher than you can reach. So now guess what? When you start climbing and you start pulling the slack out of your degree or whatever, you know, you're using while you climb, instead of you climbing above your tether. It's already up there. It's already up there. So, you know, it, nice. maybe, maybe you'll climb enough to create six or eight inches of slack, but six or eight inches of slack is way better than two and a half foot. Of slack. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all told me some some numbers while we were there. We were talking about it with a few guys about how like a one foot fall created so many pounds of of, of energy or force or something. So my my saddle is has a lot of nylon built into it, and nylon likes to stretch. What happens when something stretches is it actually lowers the force because it's absorbing force. Um, that's why dynamic rope is so great for mountain climbers if they fall because it stretches and a two to one fall factor on our saddle the, the the fall was really only supposed to be 24 inches but because it's a two to one fall factor it becomes almost a four foot fall um when they put the 220 pound dummy on there and they put the sail to it and they dropped that that little saddle less than four foot, you know, the, the dummy with the saddle less than four foot generated, uh, almost 1200, almost 1200 pounds of force. Wow. So just about that, like your body realistically, cause a saddle is a work positioning harness and that's very similar to a body belt. So you're not supposed to be able to generate more than 900 pounds of force. And that's why OSHA, demands that linemen and arborists when they're using the work positioning harness yo-yo they say that you're not allowed to have more than two foot of total fall distance so huh. and, hey two foot of slack it says you're not able to fall more than two foot and the reason is a fall over two foot can generate and will generate more than 900 pounds on most of these saddles and ropes um, your body can't take that much to the sternum. Like you can't be putting 12, 1400 pounds of force all on your back or your sternum. So saddles are the safest way to hunt in my opinion, but that's only if you use them right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I understand where you're coming from. Uh, not trying to get off topic there. Oh, but yeah, you, you can generate a lot of force. So it's, it's understanding how to, uh, how to mitigate that fall and fall factors they don't play a huge role with static rope but they still play a factor so you want to not just keep your fall distance down but you want to make sure that you stay 
below your tether height. And for a one stick guy, that's the best way to do it. In my opinion is to take something small, like a trekking pole. You can go to REI, you can go to uh Dick sporting goods has them a lot of times, but you go get that little trekking pole with like black diamond or whatever. And it, you know, you can use it while you're hiking out to the tree. If you want. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, I'm going to do that. I, I, I want, to not get hurt man i love hunting enough to want to do it for as long as possible i already don't have the best back and neck and stuff like that and i fell before a couple different times you know and it wasn't fun and it hurts and it's it, it makes you you know have that that feeling in the pit of your stomach to where you just you can't trust stuff for a little while and and that sucks too because i want to be able to go rely on all my gear to make sure that i know i'm safe because i know i'm hunting the safest way so like that's that's something I'm definitely gonna use. I was wondering what you were gonna come up with because you can't really it's unrealistic to use a lineman's belt and that tether be in there at the same time, right? I mean that's that's very difficult. It's not, it's not unrealistic per se, but it's really, really hard, especially when you're on the aider. It's not hard when you're on the stick portion. Oh yeah. When when you're using like some of them guys are using like three aiders, like a three piece aider. Yep. And uh, when you use a three-step aider, that's a lot of wobble, and they're wanting to keep their hands on the aider or on the stick for stability. Yep. You can't keep your hands on the linesman rope and the stick at the same time. You know what I mean? So that that's that's the the, the hard part about climbing with a one stick and using that many aiders. Um, you could limit the number of aiders that you use, or you know, to like a one-step aider, and that's it. And then you could probably still use a linesman. But uh, even then, you're under your stick the whole time, so you don't have that standoff to help catch you. So you're really, even then, your linesman rope isn't the best alternative. Having your tether is the best alternative, and then getting your tether as high as you possibly can so that you don't climb above it is the only way to make it truly safe, like honestly. So, you know, I know a lot of guys that tell me all the time, well, I've won stick for three years now and I've never fell once. That's cool. But what happened? I, I, I climbed, I've climbed trees for years and never fell. And then all of a sudden I had a standoff bend yeah. on a, on a well-known climbing stick. Yeah, you know I, I mean? Use the standoff too. bent and I fell. You know, that little six inches where that little branch broke, I don't really count that as a fall, but it was a dynamic event. And, you know, so I went from never falling in my life to having the crap scared out of me in one season. You know, and I've seen guys, and I know guys that fell out of climbers. You know, they've been on climbers and the bottom cut out. Yeah. I know guys like that. I know guys that have hurt themselves on climbing sticks you know, and they weren't using the right stuff and they went all the way down the tree. Um, some of them broke their ankles. I mean, it, it's, it's been life altering. I mean, the, the whole reason TMA, I don't know if people know this or not, but like the whole reason that TMA was started, like you hear about TMA standards and TMA approved stands and stuff like that, the tree stand manufacturers, the whole reason that they got started, if you really look into it and you start reading is that the, uh, the man that started it, had a, 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 a tree stand company and somebody fell and got killed and uh, oh. you know lawsuits and things like that and at the time when he, when he was making them people weren't making instructions they weren't making warnings 
there wasn't the push for safety like there is now. So his he made it his life's mission to educate other people that were making and using this stuff so that they wouldn't get hurt, so they wouldn't get killed. Like he took a really bad experience that ruined his life and he used it as motivation to make sure it didn't do that to someone else. And, uh, you know, I hear people all the time say stuff, and I'm like, if you really looked into it, the TMA is fantastic. Yeah. Standards are good because safety is important. I, like like you said, I'll, I plan on hunting when I'm 55, 60 years old. Yeah. I, I want to be like John Eberhardt dragging deer out of the woods when I'm an old man. Right. Like, <laughs> Come on. do that, i got to be safe. I mean, I'm 41 right now, not, uh, and I've already had disc replacement surgery in my neck. I've got artificial discs in my neck. Um, oh, man. Air on my body. And I, I don't want to be like a disabled, you know, person that, that my wife has to take care of. I no. <laughs> dragging that deer that hog out in the woods, man. Daggone right. You're right, man. We've been running a little while. We got a little over an hour here, man. And we've covered a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm glad we've harped on this safety for a while because at the end of the day, man, like I, I, I've had a few few different instances where it's it's just real scary man don't don't go out there and 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 go up in no tree with some gear that you don't know that you haven't climbed with in your yard a few times low off the ground you know i've done that before man i've went out in the woods with a stand i've never used anywhere before like don't do that that's 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 one of the things one of the questions i had on here is like get rid of uh uh like get comfortable with your gear you know how important is it is it being in tune with that like i still struggle with getting in quiet and and climbing quiet and and one question i wanted to ask you before we get off the safety is how how unsafe is it tell me this because i always end up wanting to do it and i know it's not good so I, this is my my i'm i'm climbing up i'm one sticking only got two two step aider it ain't too bad i got the jx3 stick it's pretty wide and stout I got this uh I got this uh sailboat little uh I can't think of the name of it right now. It it it, it attached where I attached my rope. Yeah, cleat, cam cleat, yeah, that's what it is. Appreciate it. So I got the cam cleat on there and uh doing all that the one sticking thing. So when I get up to my rope, because I don't want to go over it, I always want to cl- grab a hold of it and use it like a line, open it up. And use it like a lineman's loop. How bad is that? Go ahead and and, and and let me know real quick. Well, I mean, the, the the rope that comes on that is not it's not um it's not like a true life safety rope. Like there, there's, I tell people this all the time when they can start talking about straps on on you know climbing sticks. Well, my climbing sticks rate to three hundred pounds, and that straps uh, it says fifteen hundred pounds MBS or whatever. Well, the sticks, your sticks and your platform and stuff are not your primary life safety. So they only are required to be about three times the weight rating. So like if your stand is rated or your stick is rated 300 pounds, that strap only needs to be able to hold to 900 pounds for five, six minutes, whatever, you know, whatever that that's all it has to be able to do. If, if, you know, whereas your linesman ropes, your tether, because they are life safety rated, 
they should be at minimum 10 times the weight of the load. So like say if I'm rating my tether to 300 pounds, right? So I'm saying my saddle and my tethers and stuff, 300 pounds is the maximum load. My rope better be at least 3,000 pound braking strength at minimum. And when I say my rope, I mean the weak piece of my rope. The weak piece of my rope is going to be my friction hitch. So my friction hitches are going to be stronger than most of the ropes or the straps that come on the climbing sticks. So what you're doing is not necessarily a bad thing, but just remember that if you fail, that's not really going to be the thing that catches you. It's going to be that tether. But I'm, I'm assuming you're putting that tether up high. And when you do that, it's like most people, when they climb, they one stick, they climb up and they get up the stick and then they advance their tether. And then what they do is they sit down in the saddle and they kind of kick off to the side. So most guys aren't taking and staying right in front of the stick until they go to set it. Right. You know, so like what you're doing is not, it's not bad. It's not super unsafe because by the time you get around to doing that, your tether should already be holding your weight. No, I don't think you understand what I said. I, I Listen here, I'm getting up too soon as I get to my tether where I got it, I got it girth hitched in the tree, which my tether is my, my climbing rope, my rappel rope, all that in one. So I'm on that. I get up to it on my stick. When I, after I advance my stick, I climb up my stick. I'm getting slack right there. I grab a hold of my tether. I open it up and I advance up the stick the rest of the way. Like it's a lineman's rope. (laughs) Okay, so you are talking about the rope on your stick. You're talking about your actual tether or climbing rope. Right. So your your fingers in there. So I want you to think about this. Um, you, you you're an electrician. Yeah. You ever ran a pipe and and not had a. You ever seen what twine does when you're pulling rope through PVC? Yeah, yeah. We just pulled some. We just pulled some uh two watt two watt in the day. So. Uh, so when you got that bucket of twine and it's sucking through there and you go to pull in the wire, you know what I mean? Usually you pull a bigger rope than the wire. Yeah. But a lot of times, small wire, we just use the twine, right? Yep. Okay. So think about like this. You ever seen the bell end or the end of uh, one of the little push-on couplings when you're pulling that rope through it, what it starts to do to that pipe? Yep. Start sawing into it. Yep. Matter of fact, a lot of us, if we don't have a hacksaw or, or, you know, you're using, say, just a little ditch witch instead of a real backhoe and it's too thin to, you know, get your saw down there, a lot of us will take twine and slide it under the pipe and cross it and then pull back and forth. Uh-huh. Okay, so I, I want you to think about how, how, how quick it burns through stuff like that. If Ooh. your fingers are between that rope and that tree and you were to fall, and that rope cinched that tree, which thing it. is going to do them hands? That's it. It's going to snap it off. What, what are you making money with? My hands. Yeah, I, I knew it was a bad idea, but it it's just feels right when I get there. It's like, all right, I don't want to go above this, so let me take it with me. That's the idea behind it. CGM, the, uh, the guy at CGM, he had some some cool little things he made a few years back. And I think Genesis 3D printing may have some things, too, where you can just snap them on the tether on the outside. And they'll be like miniature handles, basically. They're acting like lever handles. Ah. So you up there and you grab that rope. You grab these little handles instead to bring the rope up. And those, those will make you safer. 
But honestly, that track pole, you'll never have to worry about that because that track pole, you're going to put it down low and you're going to use it. It's going to be what's under the rope. So it's going to walk that rope up for you. Yep. And you're never going to position to put your fingers under it. So, I got to do that. Yeah. I, I got to test that out. That that seems like the, the, the answer right there to my problem because I just, I'm wondering about how easy it's going to go up. I know when I, when I go to push that rope up, I guess once I get me some slack, I'll put a little slack in it right there. Just, just a little bit so that it, it's not cinched hard. Yep. And you, what you do is you take the, the one hand, the one hand that's you know, actually down here where the slack is, yep. you it and you'll just kind of give it some light little whips. And then the hand that's holding the trekking pole will literally just go left to right, left to right, and you'll walk it up several inches at a time just like that. And huh. if you were to fall or anything like that, the minute you fall, A, you've already got the rope in your hand, so it's going to cinch immediately. But B is that, you know, if it cinches on the trekking pole, it's not going to hurt the trekking pole. It's right. Break your, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That, that's, that's that you know, it, it's, a, it's a catch-all. And like I said, for me, it used to be PVC pipe because, again, I like to be kind of a DIY and cost-effective. But after seeing... Uh, what Island Shooter came up with, you know, he, he took my idea and he he came up with his own little version of something to do the same thing, and it's phenomenal. Like it works so good, and it don't add hardly any weight to your system. You barely even know it's there. So we'll have to we'll have to get together one day, and I'll have to show you about that because it's it's cool. The only time I've ever had it kind of difficult is on like loose bark trees, like uh, pines are a good example. Uh-huh. It, it, not even like it's hard it's just you're gonna you're gonna bust some bark off while you do it you yep. know what i mean so you don't want to be looking straight up at it and having bark fall in your eyes yeah. other oh no, it's not it's it was it's been easy on cedar it's been easy on pine i've been able to do it on palm trees i've been able to do it on oaks and i've been able to do it on hickories so so far five or five trees in this area you know yeah yeah we're yeah that should be good to go i think i'm gonna i'm really gonna have to look into that at least go test it out a few times before i i get ready to go man i don't want to take up too much more of your time robert man it's really good getting to know you on here and hearing about all this good information you got man i just want to thank you again i think we're gonna cut it short right now we already got a little over an hour and 15 minutes so Man, we gotta uh, get together some. If there's any way I can help out with the with the saddle falooza thing or or do anything, just just help out, man. Just be a helping hand. Let me know. Like I said, I really appreciate you coming on here. I want you to uh, before we get off, just let everybody know um, how to find all your saddles, uh, where to see. You know, like we already talked about on YouTube, you can go see some of what you've done and and people um, using your different saddles and stuff. But go ahead and let us know where we can find you at and all that. Uh, you can find us uh, our webpage is woodhuntingsaddles.com. Um, you can find us there. You can find us on Eastern Woods Outdoors. Um, big shout out to Dano. That's uh, doublesteps.com. Um, you can find us through Florida Camo. They have a direct link to us. So you can go on their page and find the saddle in their hammock pattern. And you can also find us in Green Acres Sporting Goods, um, as well as Skull Hill Archery. 
and I don't. I think we're we're we were or we may not be. I don't know. In Rivers Archery, if you're down in in South Florida towards Tampa area, but uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. Um, Facebook Wood Hunting Saddles. Uh, same thing with Instagram. Same tag. Um, you can find us through our guys at Swamp and Stomp. They sell our saddles on their site as well. And then you can also find our YouTube uh, Wood Hunting Saddles. Um, if you Google Wood Tree Saddles, you probably find ours too, just because that was our name before we had to change it. So, uh, yeah, that's where we're at, man. I appreciate you having us on. And uh, looking forward to seeing some more of your content, what you got going on, all right? Yes, sir, man. I appreciate it again. And I'm sure we'll talk soon and link up, try to get together before hunting season. If not, get out there and, and go run after some hogs together or something. Yes, I'm All right, man. Take care, Robert. Have a good night. I appreciate everyone listening, and we're going to go ahead and close this one out. Thank you all so much. Holla at you later. Holla at you later.